0: Chapter 2, I'm going to stand today, so just zoom back, and <laughs> that's going to just have to follow me around. Uh, last week, we finished up Chapter 1, and Naomi and Ruth finally made it back to Bethlehem. Um, and when they made it back, the town was buzzing. Uh, it was stirring. Everybody was talking about Naomi being back, uh, and she had this strange woman with her, uh, and they saw her, and apparently she had a really good standing when she was growing up there. Um, that probably is the place where she grew up. And people were asking, because she looked so different, uh, could this be Naomi? Like, is this the lady that left 10 years ago? But a lot had happened in the last 10 years. Uh, Lost her husband, lost her sons, and her grief really had made her very angry and very bitter. Um, And bitterness uh, is kind of like stress and anxiety, right? If it gets inside you, it will start to change you. Not just your attitude, not just your mentality, but also physically. You know just like stress uses a reason why presidents go in you know four years later they come out looking like they aged 15 years uh, because there's so much stress going on Um, but if we are the people that get angry at the drop of a hat right if we lose our cool then we probably have a root of bitterness somewhere in our lives something that needs to be taken care of because if we don't um, it colors everything in our lives it colors the way we look at the world It changes the way that we interact with our family and friends. And ultimately, it changes our relationship with the Lord. So when somebody in town calls her Naomi, she says, no, don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara, because I'm bitter. Um, She said that the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai, had dealt bitterly with her. And she was interpreting her circumstances as God being angry with her. when in reality, what was happening is just the consequences of her and her family being someplace they weren't supposed to be. Um... You know, I'm sure she thought in her mind at times, um, how can I go back home? Right? Like, it's been so long. There's no way I could go back. I mean, everything that's happened, we're not even supposed to be here. But the good news is she did make it back. Um, God is always there. He's always waiting. He's always waiting to welcome us back. Um, he never leaves us and he won't reject us. Psalm 139 says, that if I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in if I make it with the dead, you are there too. So there's no place that we can go where we get away from it. And if you've been through a tragedy, if you've been through a crisis, then you know that that will provide you with some very valuable uh, sense of perspective of what matters most, what's real in life. And that generally boils down to family and friends and God. Um, you don't care about work. You don't care about bills. The only thing you care about is, is family, friends, and God. Naomi says that she went away full, which is interesting because at the time they were fleeing, they were leaving because they were running out of money, they were running out of food, and felt like they were running out of time. And so they left feeling like they were empty, but now she says we actually were full. And all she has now coming back is is, uh, Ruth. All she has is God and her friend Ruth, now her daughter-in-law. A couple things that I think are worth repeating, I wish I would have kind of camped on it a little more last week, but... In their brokenness, they became bitter. But there is nothing wrong. People need to see our brokenness. They do. Because we're all broken people. Um, Our witness is going to go a lot farther when people look at us and they realize this is not a perfect person, but they are chasing after a perfect God. And that is where their strength is coming from. That's where their joy is found. So we're all crackpots. (laughs) And that's okay. It's all right. Because we don't want them looking at the outside. We want them looking at the treasure that's within. We want them to see there. So um, that's ultimately what we want them to see. Not our bitterness. You know, we don't need to post it all over Facebook, you know, how broken we are. But it's okay for people, as we're witnessing, to see that in our lives. and Not our bitterness. Because Jesus walks through uh, those bitter moments with us. Mm It tells us that they arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest. And that's significant, not just because it tells us what the time of the year is, which is the springtime. All new life is bursting forth. But it also tells us that it is the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, a seven-day feast of Unleavened Bread, which overlaps with the Passover. Um, Interesting, because they left during a time of famine, and they come back during a harvest. Uh, They're back just in time for the feast, but they're still in desperate need of a savior. Um, they came back really with just the clothes on their backs. Uh, it doesn't tell us even where they're staying, but um, we know that they are in desperate need. God is giving us um, a sneak peek of what he's doing in the feast. All of these point to Jesus. It's all about him. It all points to him. And so God is showing us here in Ruth and also in the in the feast that his fingerprints are all over it. Uh, during the feast, you couldn't have any leaven in your home at all. Leaven was the stuff they put in the bread to make it rise. You couldn't have any of that in your house. And So before that, actually it said that if you had any leaven in your house during uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you would be cut off from your people. So this is pretty serious stuff. And so they would scrub pots and pans and they would look all over the house to make sure that there wasn't any in there. doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but if I had said to you, you guys need to go home and make sure you don't have any salt in your house at all can't be in your house or you're going to get cut off from your people. It might be easy for some, but for others, you know, we might have to pull our couch cushions out. Make sure there aren't any chip crumbs in there or anything like that. That's how serious it was. And the point was that even just a little bit of sin is too much in your life. Even just a little. Um, if, if we're under the law... Uh, you know a little bit is too much and it creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry about okay did I did I get all the sins Did I repent from all of them uh, because that's the only way that I could be forgiven and that is ultimately pointing us to the fact that we need a Savior Naomi and Ruth have come back at a time where sin needs to be purged out of their life leaven needs to be taken out which leaven is a symbol of sin right and so they're coming back at a time where sin needs to be purged out. Um, Remember that word that we used last week, that Hebrew verb, shub, means to go back or to return. But it also means to repent. And they're coming back at a time where people are repenting. Paul writes um, to the church in Corinth. And this is uh, 1 Corinthians 5. 5, verse 7. It says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you already are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Get rid of the sin. There's a story about a man in Haiti and he wanted to sell his house uh, and he was selling it for $2,000, a whopping $2,000. Um, but there was a man that he was negotiating with. He wanted to buy the house, but he didn't have enough money. And so they came to an agreement, and he compromised. They sold it for $1,000. So he sells it, and he moves away. But a couple years later, he decides that he wants the house back. And part of the negotiation that he had worked ahead of time is, listen, this house meant a lot to me. Um, if I'm selling it for half the price, Then I want to retain ownership of one part of the house, just one thing. I said, okay. And he's like, this nail, this nail right here uh, above the door, I want to keep ownership of that. (laughs) All right, $1,000 off for a nail, I'll do that. After a couple years, he decides he wants his house back. And he comes to the guy, he says, listen, I I just changed my mind, I want my house back, but he doesn't want to sell. Uh, He got a great deal on it. And he says, okay. And he goes and he finds a carcass of a dead dog and he hangs it on that nail above the door and so before too long the house becomes unlivable and they have to sell the house back to the owner of the nail and the point being if we leave just a nail in our lives for the devil he will come back and hang his rotting garbage on that nail we can't leave any room for him in our lives Um, because it will become unfit for Christ's habitation. God's serious about sin. And so part of what he's doing in these feasts is he's underlining the fact that sin stinks, that we need a Savior. We can't do it on our own. All right, the plot thickens. Get into our text today. Ruth 2, we're going to go 1 through 7. Now, Naomi had a a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned to the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant said, who was in charge of the reapers, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she has said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Okay, a friend of mine preached a whole sermon on verse one (laughs) about this man, Boaz. Uh, What a guy. He is an impressive person. He is the great-grandfather of King David. And King David, a man after God's own heart, he called in Nathan the prophet. He said, listen, I sit here in this huge kingly palace, and God's ark, his presence, is down in the tabernacle. It's in a tent. I want to build him a house. And Nathan says, that is a fantastic idea, David, you should do that. Mm -hmm. And so he walks out, and God says, Nathan, you're my mouthpiece, right? Like, you speak my words? You didn't ask me about that. And so he tells Nathan, he said, David cannot build the temple. And so Nathan has to go back and say, I'm sorry, David. Uh, God said, you are a man of war. You have a lot of blood on your hands. You cannot build the temple. Um, And so David, knowing he can't build the temple, he's going to do everything that he can. So he starts stockpiling resources, wood, stone, and all kinds of things, so that his son... Can build the temple. And so Solomon grows up, and Solomon's the one that builds the temple. And when he builds it, he builds two huge pillars um, one on the north side and one on the south side. And he names these pillars, and one of them he actually names after his great granddad, Boaz. Because Boaz means standing in strength, which is a pretty good name if you're going to erect a pillar to hold things up. (laughs) Standing in strength. Boaz is a picture, he's a symbol of. Jesus, our Savior. The country was corrupt, it was falling apart, they were chasing after other gods, and here's Boaz standing strong. Uh, He is a man of high character. He was a wealthy man, not just in resources, but also in his person, in his character, who he was. Uh, He was of the family of Elimelech. He was one of his kinsmen, uh, and he was of the tribe of Judah. This is important because he is called a kinsman redeemer. He's somebody that can save them. Now, God instituted a lot of memorials, a lot of observances in the Jewish culture that related to his character. He had an important emphasis on certain days of the week, like Sabbath. They had uh, certain holidays and festivals throughout the year. They also had specific years that were significant. Um, You can turn with me to to Leviticus chapter 25. It's not often we get into Leviticus. Leviticus. 25, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, say to them, When you come to the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest of the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. A Sabbath for the land shall provide food for you. For yourself and your male and female servants and your hired worker, all of those that are with you, the yield of the the fruit of the field shall be uh, for food for you. And in this year of jubilee, actually, okay, in verse 8, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound a loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. it is a Jubilee, it shall be holy to you you may eat the produce of the field in this year of jubilee each of you shall return to his property okay seven years then the lamb had to rest in that seventh year no planting no harvesting god said let it rest uh when i was reading this uh, this morning <laughs> at least she's going to shake her head i was reminded of this story there was a pastor in the deep south and he was preaching to his congregation and they had kind of this uh preach and response uh church going where he would preach and then they would kind of talk back to him and he was talking, he said, this church, like the cripple, needs to rise up and walk. And his congregation said, Yes, let it walk, preacher, let it walk. And he would say, This church, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, needs to get up and run. And he'd say, let it run, let it run, preacher. And he would say, This church needs to mount up on wings like eagles. They would say, Let it fly. And he said, if this church is gonna fly, it's gonna take money. <laughs> and they said, let it walk. <laughs> let it walk. <laughs> let it walk. but he said let it rest and every 50th year was called a year of jubilee Uh, all debts were cancelled in the 50th year that would be pretty cool all debts were cancelled if you were poor and you had to sell your land you got it back and if you were poor and you had sold yourself into slavery you got set free that's pretty, I know right? that would be pretty amazing But depending on where you were in the cycle, like if you're in year 48, not too bad. But if you're in year 17, that is a long time to wait before you get your land back. So God had provided kind of a safety net for people that had fallen on hard times where a kinsman redeemer could come and get the land back. So a kinsman redeemer would have been a close family relation, a brother or somebody, an uncle or a cousin, and their their duties were to restore or recover rights or to avenge wrongs that had happened in the family. So these were the first avengers. Um, (laughs) Their two main duties were to recover land, recover family land, and also to raise up heirs. We talked about that, that if a man died and he had a brother, an unmarried brother, that unmarried brother was to marry his widow and raise up a child for him so that his name would not die out. Um, So it was their duty to redeem this land, it was uh, part of what a kinsman redeemer was supposed to perform. Uh, But they had to have the means to do it, and they had to have the willingness to do it. Boaz is a picture of Jesus, uh, a kinsman redeemer. Now the only difference is, the debt that you and I have is never going away, there's no year of jubilee for sin. Um, Jesus is the only one that has the family ties, the means, and the willingness. To carry it out because he is our brother. In Hebrews 2, uh, through to Hebrews 2, it's page 1002 in the inspired <laughs> Sorry. You thought I was one Okay. Verse 10, Hebrews 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sins to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who was sanctified and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And then in verse 17, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and a merciful, and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. Not ashamed. He is merciful and faithful. He has the unlimited means and the holy desire to bring us back to him for his glory. Um, okay, back to Ruth. 2 verse 2. Uh, and Ruth the Moabite... And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me glean in the field, and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to go, my daughter. And she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Illinois. So I titled this, Nothing Just Happens. Nothing just happens. We really should take the word coincidence out of our vocabulary. It was the duty of a kinsman redeemer to save property and raise up heirs. Uh, But another interesting thing uh, that God makes provision for, uh, not just for those who have lost a loved one, not just for those who are in debt, but also for the poor. Um, In Leviticus, we get to go back to Leviticus. Leviticus 19, verse 9. Leviticus 9. Nineteen, verse 9 when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not reap your field right up to its edge neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest you shall not strip your vineyard bare shall neither gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner I am the Lord your God so God had put a system in place where poor people could go out and glean in the fields they could gather food for themselves And Ruth evidently was familiar with this practice. Maybe Naomi had told her because she said at that point, let me go out. Let me do something for us and provide for us. I mean, he provides a way, but we have a part to play. Uh, The cupboards were bare at home. They were in a really tight spot. Um, But there's a principle here that we shouldn't skip over. And uh, you may have heard the saying that is attributed uh, I think, to Augustine when he says, pray as if it depends on God, but work as if it depends on you. Uh, This is a partnership, right? That's what God's after. He's after a relationship. He calls us into partnership. Uh, There's a pastor who has a sign in his office, and he says, Without him, I can't. But without me, he won't. Without him, I can't. But without me, he won't. God will do the things that he can do, but we need to do the things that we can do. So in those times, don't despise your circumstances. Right? Don't complain and moan and groan because that only wastes time. Uh, we need to appreciate the opportunities that are in front of us um, and then just take advantage of them. Uh, Naomi sends her out, and she just happens to be in the field belonging to Boaz. I think the narrator, which we think is Samuel, that wrote this, um, had a little bit of a smirk on his face when he wrote this. She just happens to come into Boaz's field because he knows, as we know, that nothing happens by accident, we talked about it last week, that the Almighty is omnipotent, he is all powerful, but he is also omniscient, he's also all knowing, nothing takes him by surprise. In Matthew ten twenty nine, it says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He knows when sparrows which were pretty worthless at that time, still are, yes, <laughs> he knows when they fall to the ground. And then in Psalm 139, 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And then a little further down, it says, Day and night are the same to you. Uh, nothing takes him by surprise. That's a comforting thought to me that the things that are shocking to me don't take him by surprise. Uh, we are called into so much more freedom than I think that we even believe sometimes. Uh, we're forgiven, we're free. Uh, He has made provision for us. Uh, If your faith and your hope and your trust is in the person of Jesus Christ, your future is certain in heaven. So there's no need to sweat it out here on earth. We lose sight of that sometimes. Uh, I do. And uh, I have a tendency to want two things in my own strength. So many things in this life that we think about, stress about, create anxiety about, never even happen. Uh, Alicia, was. uh, she told me a story even yesterday. She was at a storage unit uh, getting some things, and she doesn't like the storage unit because you never know what could be in the storage unit um, and she, the, she heard a noise when she was in there like a scratching noise she's like oh there's a mouse in here and if that thing jumps out i'm gonna freak out and so this whole time she's anxious about there's a mouse in here somewhere and then at the end she realized that when she had raised the door the wind was blowing through and it was really just the door kind of squeaking against the side of it so the whole time she was freaked out about this mouse that never came to be it simply steals our joy is all it does and wastes time Uh, we should count our blessings Naomi thought she was running on empty when she left Bethlehem but in reality now she says I was full and now coming back she says I really am empty but God's about ready to fill her up uh, my mother in law is fond of saying, if everybody put their troubles in the middle of the table, you couldn't grab yours back fast enough. <laughs> saying, listen, if you compare your stuff with other people's, if you get a little bit of perspective, you're going to realize that you have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, perspective is what we need. I, uh, it's kind of like that song I heard it yesterday uh, Frank Sinatra, that's life. You heard that song? <laughs> it says, You are riding high in April. And then you're shot down in May. It's ups and downs. Ruth did not end up there by accident. Saul, our Proverbs 16, 9 says that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. His steps are determined by the Lord. And he had determined Ruth's steps, and now he's about ready to determine Boaz's. Okay, verse 4 to verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his, oh, I'm going to stop right there. This may seem like a simple sentence when he says, hey, God be with you guys. The Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you. But it says something about Boaz's character and what kind of boss he was. Um, He shows up on the scene. Sounds like a group of people that enjoy working for this guy. When he comes around, they don't mind him being around either. He wants to be out there amongst his people. Uh, And that's interesting to me because another man would come from Bethlehem. And he would be called Emmanuel, which meant God with us. So he comes out and he says, the Lord be with you. And then later on, another man from Bethlehem is God with us. That's pretty amazing. Since he's a picture, a type of Jesus here in the story. Since he created us, he wanted to be with us. In the garden, he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, it tells us. Um, In Deuteronomy 23, it says, the Lord your God walks in the midst of the camp. And then Jesus came and he walked, he made his dwelling here among us. And now, as the church, we are called the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet. Uh, There's a story that's been widely circulated Uh, that after World War II in Germany, there was a statue of Jesus outside this church. And he was standing like this, and it simply said, on the base of it, come to me. But because of all the bombings that had taken place, uh, the statue of Jesus had fallen over. And when they went to pick him up, his hands had been broken off. And so they started having this discussion about, well, should we fix it? What should we do? And uh, the the elders decided, you know what? We're just going to leave it. And they put a new inscription on the bottom of it that said, I have no hands and feet but yours. Which I thought was pretty wise. That was a pretty cool way uh, to show that we are his hands and feet. Uh, So, how are we doing? When we come along, are people saying, the Lord bless you? Or do they say, oh Lord, here he (laughs) comes. What kind of impression are we leaving on people? All right, verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whoa, who is this woman? No, he said, whose woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, She is the young Moabite woman who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the reapers. And so she came and she continued until now, except for a short rest. Boaz, this is interesting, Boaz notices Ruth before she even knows who he is. <clears throat> and that's interesting. From the time she shows up on the scene, Boaz has his eye on her. And you know, as we read, before we were even here, God had all of our days written in his book. He's had his eye on us. since the foundation of the world. And it's no accident that she's there. It's no accident that it's Boaz's field. And God has called you into his family, it's no accident. He did it ahead of time. So we watched the drama unfold. Romans 8, 29 through 30. Uh, I'm going to read this in the message translation. I knew um, the way that this read, and I like the way that it sounds. Uh, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like he followed it up by calling people by name. And after he called them by name he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established he stayed with them to the end gloriously completing what he had begun. Um, I'll clarify that when it says that the son stands first in the line of humanity restored that 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 word first just means preeminent it means above all, right? because we know that he is part of the eternal Godhead and he was not created uh, Boaz approaches this unnamed servant doesn't tell us his name just tells us that he was a foreman he was in charge of all of the reapers um, and he, he shows up and says who's that and then the foreman the unnamed servant sets up an introduction kind of brings them together with you And the the unnamed servant here is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws people to Jesus, who sets up the introduction, if you will. In Genesis 24, we find Abraham, and it says that he is advanced in years. Remember, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And now it's time to find Isaac a wife. And he goes to his servant, his unnamed servant, and he says, I want you to go back to the land that I'm from, And I want you to find a wife for Isaac. Do not take a wife from the people here in this area. And the servant just tells us that he was the oldest. And he was in charge of everything that Abraham had. And he says, well, what if I find a girl and she won't come with me? And Abraham says, if she won't come with you, I will not hold you responsible. She has to make a decision for herself to come with you. Isn't that interesting? So he goes back to the Mesopotamian region. And he is very overwhelmed at his task. He has a lot of respect and admiration for his master. And as he's overwhelmed, he starts to pray. And he says, Lord, help me. And he's sitting at this well. And he arrives there in the evening. And he says, Lord, may a woman come out here as she's drawing water from the well. And let her offer me a drink. And then also to water the camels as well. Now, in the evening, the women would come out to the well in the mornings and in the evenings, in the cool of the day. And so he arrives there in the evening. He knows the women are going to be coming out. God, bring a woman here, but not just to give me a drink, but to, to you know, water the camels as well. He had 10 camels. Camels could drink some water. That's a lot of water. That's a major task. That's not just a little favor. And God answers it in Rebekah. Last week, I talked about Jacob and Rachel. And I mentioned Rebecca a couple times, so I'll fix that here. But Isaac and Rebecca, and he takes her home to Isaac. He is just blown out at that prayer that God answered right away. And I think it's interesting because he prayed very specifically. That's a very specific prayer. And as God's people, we need to be those that pray and be very specific in our prayers. We don't have to be long-winded. God knows what we're going to ask before we ask it, so we don't have to be long-winded. But we should be specific. Uh, He had brought a husband, or I'm sorry, he had brought a wife for Isaac back from his kinsmen, from his family. That was an incredible provision. Well, if God knows what we're going to ask before we ask it, why ask? Have you ever thought about that? If God knows what I'm going to ask, why do I need to bring that to him? Uh, If you're watching The Chosen, if you're not caught up I'm sorry I told you to watch it <laughs> in this last episode of the church, there's a really powerful scene where James the Less it's called James the Less they call him Little James there's James and John they call him Big James and then there's Little James and he is talking with Thomas and they're having this conversation around the fire and they're waiting at the campsite for Jesus is having an all day healing marathon and they're sitting there talking and Thomas says I'm sorry I have to ask you know What's wrong with you? And at least I've been watching this, and he seems like there's something wrong with him, like he is limping or something, like really. something wrong with this guy. Uh, and maybe they're just not going to mention it, but they do. And he says, well, he starts telling them, I have a kind of a palsy, and, uh, you know, that's what's wrong with me. And he says, does it bother you that Jesus is healing all of these Samaritans? And, you know, you have this, this malady, And he says, well, I'm just, I'm upset that people are believing in Jesus because of what he's doing for them. I believe in Jesus, and he hasn't done anything for me. And Thomas says, why haven't you asked him? And he's like, you know, it just doesn't feel right to me. I don't want to take advantage of my position. I mean, he called me for a reason, and I'm not worthy, but he called me anyway. And I'm afraid if I ask him that he's going to think less of me. He's gonna think less of James less. <laughs> <laughs> and Thomas has this classic line. He says, "I'm pretty sure he knows your situation. <laughs> like it's not a surprise to him." But sometimes we need to take those requests in, to him. Uh, I actually found this out. Alicia read an article. This is an incredible thing. That part of the backstory behind the scenes, if you will, is that this man really does have this in real life. And when he was doing the audition, they didn't know this. And after he was cast for the part, they found out that he had this, this lymph, this palsy. And as a producer, me, Nathan, I'd be like, well, that's not really ideal. I mean, we didn't know about that ahead of time. But instead, Dallas Jenkins, the guy who's the producer, the head honcho, he went to him and said, can we use that? Like, can we write that the story? That's incredible to me. Because that's what God does to us. He said that thing in your life, that thing that broke you, that thing that causes so much pain, can I use that? Can I use that to minister to other people, to glorify me, to glorify the Father? Will we let him do that? That's pretty cool. Uh, the late Donald uh, Barnhouse, Dr. Barnhouse, uh, who is a very well-known, powerful preacher and author, was talking to his congregation one day, and he said something that shocked everyone. He stood up and he said, prayer changes nothing. And you could hear a pin drop. There's a church there in Philadelphia. And the point of his statement was to make people realize that God is sovereign. He handles everything. Everything is shaped by Him. Everything happens because of Him. That no puny human... Mumbling a few words is going to take control of a situation and change it. That everything is shaped and controlled by God. And of course he's right. But one thing. Prayer doesn't change nothing. Prayer changes me. Right. It changes us. It changes our heart. changes our attitude. It changes our perspective. Mm-hmm. That's what prayer does. Mm-hmm. Verse 7 back to Ruth she said please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers." so she came and she continued from early morning until now except for a short rest Ruth had the right to glean in the field that was set up in the law she could have gone out there and claimed her right but she didn't she asked permission and that says something about Ruth and her character and her personality that she humbly came to him and asked for permission. She sought grace and mercy, and she found it. First Peter 5.5 5 said that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How do we seek God's grace and mercy? Just humbly through prayer. We as people are naturally prideful. Uh, we, that was Satan's original sin. Uh, he's leading heaven in worship and he starts to think I'm pretty good myself. Like I should get some glory. That was his original sin that had him cast out. And when we're in need, we have a real tendency to say I can do this on my own. I can do it on my own. I can be my own savior. And that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is the sin that can't be forgiven. Ignoring the Holy Spirit's leading back to Jesus. And you know, if that is the mentality, that I can do this on my own, um, I can fix this, then we are out of step, out of relationship uh, with where God wants us to be. Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, <laughs> by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. We don't demand things from God. She didn't walk into the field and name it and claim it. She just simply went to um, the man who was in charge and requested humbly. Yes, he already knows everything, but it's about relationship. Kyla and I were talking about this uh, last week. I said, even if I knew everything that happened in your day, I would still want you to tell me about it because you're my daughter and I love you. I still want to talk with you. It's all about relationship. So we need to pray and be diligent. She She started from early morning until now, only with a short rest. So when God brings you an opportunity, do the things that you can do. Be diligent and see what he does. We need to be faithful. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We need to be full of faith so that we can please him. Uh, Thursday is the national day of prayer. Um, And so there's something that I want to issue as a challenge for us here in the month of May, and it is to pray. Uh, I want everybody has something in your life whether it's a person or a situation or a circumstance that we need an answer to. And so I want to challenge all of us every day here in May to lift up that request to God. And then in June, we'll have some testimonies. We'll see what God has done. Now, we do sometimes have to pray. We have to persist in prayer for a long time. But I think if all of us take the month of May, and take our request to God, we'll have some pretty cool stories. Uh, We need some testimonies. That's a way that we're all built up in our faith is to see what God's doing in the lives of other people. Uh, We're not going to demand answers, but we are going to take it to Him in faith and request. There is a uh, story in 2 Kings 19. Uh, If you want to get the girls out. 2 Kings 19, uh, King Hezekiah. and The city of Jerusalem is under attack by the Assyrians. And they have come and they have surrounded the city and they have defeated all of the nations around them. And Sennacherib, the guy who's in charge of the Assyrian army, he sends a letter to King Hezekiah. And it says, don't think that your God is going to save you. People's gods all around here haven't saved them. Nothing is going to save you from me. Go ahead and surrender and then it'll be better for you. And so King Hezekiah takes this letter He takes it to the temple, and he simply lays the letter out in front of the ark. And he says, God, listen to what they're saying about you. This is what they're saying. This is what they're calling you. They're saying you won't come through for us. But we know that you will save your people. And he just spreads the letter out in front of the Lord. and says, here it is, God. And God works a mighty victory. I love to read stories about the heroes of the faith. I do. But one of the things I love about the story of Ruth is that you see him working in the lives of ordinary people with very practical needs, and that's something that I can relate to. You see his footprints, his fingerprints all over it. And yeah, we know, we know the end of the story, we have the benefit of that, but kind of like the Hebrew writings, they can only be understood when they're read backwards is written from right to left if we read it backwards if we look backwards we can see his providence his provision god does some very uncommon things through some very common people there is a story that max lakedo relates as it pertains to the survivors of the katrina um, you know devastation disaster and said that there was a man and he was in the house with his two kids and the waters were rising. And he was up on the second level, and they were still coming up. And so he swam out the window with his kids on his back, and they got up on the roof, and it was continuing to rise. And so they actually swam a little bit further to this taller building, and there were already some people on top of the roof, and they pulled them up on the roof as well. And he realized that what they were on top of was a church. And he said, this is is holy ground. And one of the guys that was up there said, my grandfather... And grandmother helped build this church. And they probably never would have dreamed in a million years that their work in helping build that little church would have saved their grandkids. And so, too, the little things that we do every single day in the lives of people, just practical things, can have a huge impact when we let God work through it. And, you know, there is the there's the verse in Zechariah 4, Zechariah 4, that says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Because God takes pleasure in the, when the work starts. Nathan's paraphrase. <laughs> God takes pleasure when the work begins. So even though things might be small, or kind of small, God can do big things with it when we just open up our hands and let them.